Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. If we have anyone joining us for the first time tonight and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. And if you haven't already done so, please visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is Dead Talk Live. Please feel free to go ahead and subscribe. And if you're there right now, it'd be greatly appreciated if you guys hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast, if you do so enjoy it. So let me go ahead and welcome some of you guys. We got Carl Grimes with us, Khaleesi, Hard Productions. Welcome, Ethan. Good to see you on the lives again. Uh, we have Singer Chick joining us. Kodak69 is with us. Welcome to everybody. Um, Facebook side, we have Colette, Lindsay Sparks. Again, welcome to everyone. Say hello to some of our Instagram friends here. Let's see, we have Fabiola is with us. Pyrenees is joining us. I love Five, Jose, everybody, welcome so much. I love those floating love hearts on Instagram. Thank you so much, guys. Andrew Valentine is with us as well on Instagram. I hope everyone's enjoying their Tuesday evening. And a little scheduling reminder, guys. I just want to let you know that today is going to be our broadcast before our break. We are taking a five-day break for the Thanksgiving Day holiday. We'll be back on the air Monday, November 30th. That's next Monday with our very special guest, Annette Mahandru, who plays Huck in The Walking Dead World Beyond. It's going to be the day after the season finale airs, the two-hour season finale of The Walking Dead World Beyond airs. And we are going to have a bunch to talk with Annette, who again plays Huck on World Beyond. Does she make it out of the finale? Does she make it to season two? I don't know. We got a big surprise this past weekend. Saying hello to Julia, who's saying hello back. Welcome, Julia, on Facebook. Like I said, we got a big surprise uh, two days ago when we found out that Huck is indeed Elizabeth's daughter. And she was planted in the Omaha colony and is leading an asset to the CRM facility in New York. What we don't know is who and why. <laughs> Two very important questions that we have to continue watching to find out. But anyway, like I said, Monday, November 30th, we are going to be joined by Annette Mahandru, who plays Huck on The Walking Dead World Beyond. So moving on to some different stuff. Over the last several days, uh, I don't know if we have any American Horror Story fans here. Uh, but they started teasing their upcoming season 10. Uh, I posted one of the little promo shots on our social media several hours ago. And a lot of our favorites are coming back. Sarah Paulson is coming back this uh, season. Thank God. The show desperately missed her last season. And I'm so glad that Sarah is coming back. Along with a lot of the other regulars. Evan Peters, Adina Porter. Newcomers is going to be Macaulay Culkin. Yep, that's right. Macaulay Culkin is joining the cast of American Horror Story this season, as is Spencer Novich. Now, I bring up Spencer because uh, American Horror Story, which is aired on the uh, channel FX, released his audition tape that got him the role in this upcoming season 10, which is yet to be titled. There's no title to it, so it's just being called American Horror Story Season 10 for now. It will get a title, but they they released his audition tape. And I want to play this back for you guys. Uh, you, We've had numerous guests on this show talk about how they got their parts, whether they went in person and read for it, a lot of times they send in audition tapes. So this is the audition tape that Spencer Novich sent in that got him the part on American Horror Story. Just check this out. Check it out. Here we go. 
That's pretty creepy, right? Awesome audition tape, but sometimes that's all it takes, okay? Uh, you know, to audition, you don't necessarily have to go there in person. Uh, you know, whether your agent, manager finds out there's an opening and they're a casting call, and they usually request the audition tape to be of some kind of substance. You make it, you send it in, and as you see, he uh, that audition tape got him the role. Uh, what his role is going to be in this upcoming season, we have no idea. Because uh, a lot of you guys that follow American Horror Story, you know it's an anthology uh, show. Every season is a completely brand new story. And uh, they bring back a lot of the characters from the previous seasons. So, like Lindsay Spark says, very creepy. It is amazingly creepy. And I just wanted to share that with you guys because, uh, you know, this guy is pretty cool. And I'm curious to see which role he got on the show and what even this season is going to be about. They're being very tight-lipped about it. Not much is known. Like I said, they just started releasing some posters over this past week, so we got to wait and find out. We also got to look at what Hillary Burton, Morgan, is going to look like as Lucille on The Walking Dead. So let me show you that picture, and I will read you the article, okay? So this is what Lucille is going to look like. Wow. I mean, talk about some makeup job there. We got green hair. Uh, whoa. What is that all about? Now, here's what we do know, okay? Looking at this picture, we know that Negan's wife, Lucille, died of cancer, okay? Uh, so, the hair, obviously, that's not her hair. That's a wig, probably from the chemotherapy. She lost all her hair. They made her look very gaunt for the role of Lucille. So, you can tell this is right maybe before the zombie apocalypse started maybe as it was going on but we are going to get at least one episode with hillary playing lucille in it and this is how she's going to look and it's if you watch the teaser because they did release a whole teaser for the six episodes that we're going to get in the beginning of uh 2021 it is a wig. It absolutely is a wig, Kodak. Uh, you know, the teaser is very short. And, you know, all the sequence of events just fly by. And if you blink, you'll miss that picture of Lucille. Uh, that looks nothing like Hillary Burton Morgan. So they did an amazing job with the makeup, the CGI works the wig, the whole nine yards to make her look like Lucille. But that's what she's going to look like. And it's going to be the sixth episode, the final, the last of the six episodes called Here's Negan, where we know we're definitely going to see her in. So a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to there. And let me just read the article in reference to that picture. Burton will star opposite Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan, who is also her husband in real life. Hillary played Peyton Sawyer in One Tree Hill for six seasons from 03 to 09 and hosted MTV's Total Request Live. Wow, I remember that show. Confirming her casting earlier this month, Burton wrote on Twitter, been pretty hard to keep this a secret, but I love working with uh, J.D. Morgan. I love watching him become Negan and take on that swagger. And I love, I love that the Walking Dead family, they've been a part of our family for ages, and I'm so grateful for their kindness. Hashtag, here's Lucille. Discussing a potential Negan spinoff last week, Morgan said that no doors are closed. The actor added he plays a great character with many stories to tell before adding, but again, much still to do on The Walking Dead 
many episodes still to shoot. Right now, I'm just excited about that. Six bonus episodes following the long-awaited Season 10 finale will be released early next year, and we know now it's the first one is going to air on February 28th of 2021. So just three months away, uh, and we're going to get that first. We're going to get The Walking Dead back for at least six weeks uh, before the break happens, and God knows when we're going to get season 11. Hoping we'll get season 11 reg- as during its regular schedule this year, next year of 2021, and hopefully we'll get season 11 in October. But we have no idea. No idea. Uh, so the next thing on our list is fear the walking dead finally brought back a missing character in the mid season finale. And of course they're referencing grace played by Karen David for the first 35 minutes of the season six mid year finale fear the walking dead delivered a super chilling standalone premise in which Alicia and uh, Zoe Coletti's Dakota and Alexa Neeson's Charlie were trapped in a hunting lodge with a socially functioning lunatic, lunatic taxidermist. I would not go as far as calling him a lunatic. The guy's been alone and yeah, he's been doing some creepy stuff, but a lunatic? I don't think so. Remember, at the end, he ended up sacrificing his life so they can get away. That situation resulted in one of the spin-offs coolest looking walker attacks yet, setting up a gear shift that brought Morgan, Strand, and others into the narrative mix. Oh yeah, and we finally learned what happened to Karen David's long-lost grace. Bizarrely enough, this was the first episode of season six in which Alicia and Lenny James crossed paths. Lenny James is, of course, Morgan, as she was totally unaware that he survived the wounds he suffered in the season five finale. It was extremely coincidental that everyone happened upon the hunting lodge, but that's neither here nor there. It was perfect timing on one hand, with Morgan able to tell Alicia about his new hideaway where Maggie Grace's Al and Austin Emilio's Dwight are currently holed up. But Strand's arrival was less timely and led to a brief standoff since he did not want to stray from his original plan. Then, in the final scene, viewers learned about Grace's whereabouts and Virginia's newest plan, so let's dive into those topics. Technically, Damage from the Inside, which was the title of the episode, didn't tell everything that Grace experienced after fans saw her last in Season 5. The truth of it is, it didn't tell us anything, uh, besides that uh, quite a few months have passed, as she is clearly showing pregnant right now. However, we do know that she has been held captive by Virginia for an undetermined amount of time. It's clear that Virginia is treating Grace less harshly than she would other prisoners, considering the latter has a comfortable-looking bed and a book to read, but that's not the only difference here. Now, I'm sorry, I don't see it that way. Being locked in that little, very small room that's a secret hideout, uh, with a bed and a book, and they're calling that less harsh. I don't see it that way. Uh, to me, that's hell being kept in there for months and months and months. Grace's cell, so to speak, is not set up uh, in any kind of uh, public jailhouse and is instead quite hidden. One, one has to go through a locked and guarded fence gate then has to find the actual door, which was blocked by a large set of bookshelves. Keeping mum on Grace's whereabouts was apparently quite important to Virginia, who has been keeping the pregnant woman around as her big secret weapon 
to use against Morgan if the time ever came, and that time has most definitely arrived. It's unknown if Grace has had any other role in Virginia's communities, but it's highly unlikely since news of her presence would spread around and eventually reach Morgan's ears. It's also unknown if Grace was involved with saving Morgan's life after he was shot. That did not happen. She was being taken away. She was away with that doctor. In order for that to happen, the doctor would have had to let uh, Grace go, tend to Morgan's wounds, and then take him back. And no, I just don't see that happening. But that also seems unlikely given what transpired with Morgan in the season six premiere. But we can presumably expect more answers to come when new episodes arrive, most likely in February 2021. Rarely has a Fear the Walking Dead character been more uncomfortable than Strand, as when he had to tell Virginia that her sister Dakota sided with Alicia and Morgan. And the look on Virginia's face when Strand just uttered the name Morgan, I thought her eyes were going to just explode out of her head. Remember what she said to him at the end of season five uh, as she had already shot him and it was getting ready to kill him, but the gun was a dummy gun filled with blanks? She says, I hate your face. She has nothing but utter contempt for Morgan and just wants to see him dead. Now, once she made sure Strand was on her side, though he technically isn't, it's still unclear when he will decide to break away from her influence. Knowing Strand, I have no idea about that either. Virginia made the next step in her big plan quite clear. Strand needs to round up all the Gulch traitors and bring them back to her, for no doubt, but to execute them. Virginia's choice of action will be interesting to watch when Fear the Walking Dead returns, considering part of her anger is invested in her own sister, Dakota, opting to double-cross her in favor of other survivors. And if that's just a big surprise to Virginia, that Dakota is just clearly opposed to her, then she's really put blinders on when it comes to Dakota. Dakota's decision was, of course, influenced by Virginia having killed their parents, though we don't know the backstory, okay? Were they injured? Were, was it a mercy killing on Virginia's part? Did she flat out murder them when the apocalypse was happening, even though there, were, there was nothing wrong with them? Or did she put him down after they turned? Besides uh, Dakota telling the story, and when it happened, she was just a little girl. So her memory may very well be fuzzy as to what actually happened. So Virginia will no doubt want to redirect that anger against Morgan and the rest, even though she already hates Morgan as much as she possibly can. Is it possible she will succeed in killing him off before Season 7 gets here? I don't see Morgan going anywhere on Fear the Walking Dead. Having Virginia be the one to kill Morgan after all the crap that that man has been through would be upsetting. <laughs> it would be upsetting that someone of Virginia would uh, be the one to do Morgan in. It also goes on to say, presumably not, considering it was hinted uh, at in the episode that Alicia and others are willing to work with the spray paint group and presumably any other Virginia opposing groups as a way to strike at Virginia. And Virginia has a problem. She has a lot of different groups that are gunning for her. Of course, Sherry and her masked group, Morgan, and these spray painters, who we still have no freaking idea who they are and who's leading them. 
uh, if Morgan, Dakota, and others are able to team up with those remaining group members to form a very large offensive that could do a lot more damage to the antagonist than Strand's take them down from the inside plan. Of course, there are no guarantees that everyone will get along very well, and I'm willing to bet there will be several more large-scale conflicts to come. And what they're trying to say is, yeah, they may get together against a common enemy, and going forward into other seasons, the writers may very well take this, that after that common enemy, which is Virginia, is ultimately defeated, how are these various groups going to react to one another? Are they going to form a one big, large community and help each other out? Or are they going to just continue to rub each other the wrong way? I don't know. We got to keep on watching. OTV on YouTube writes, Morgan is just trying to keep his friends alive, just like she is. Uh, CC Weezy writes, Morgan, don't die. And that has been true so far. He's come close to death, but he does not die. Stone Walker writes true, and I feel Morgan will die in the end, sadly. I, I disagree. I don't think so. Sylvia Kennedy on Facebook writes, I got, it, I got it started when I watched AMC the other night and seen a commercial that The Walking Dead is coming back February 28th. Can't wait for that. Uh, let's see. Uh... Stone Walker writes, I think Madison is leading them. We don't know. I said this yesterday. It it could or it can't be. You know, I, I'm still leaning about 70%. It's not Madison. But it could be. And uh, if it is, and if they kept it a secret this long, uh, this would be the biggest uh, secret the Walking Dead universe has kept from the viewers and from everybody else since they decided to bring Morgan back at the end of season four. So we just have to wait and see. Uh, so anyway, I want to welcome Goldie Singh, who's with us on Instagram. Uh, Girl Fridas is also joining us from Brazil. Welcome. Brazil is in the house. Frank is giving us a thumbs up on Instagram. Uh, One Forge is also saying, Hail Dead. <laughs> Hail Dead. That's cool. Uh, Kodak69 writes, I don't see any uh, Kumbaya for the fear of the Walking Dead. There's no Kumbaya ending in the Walking Dead universe. Okay, The Walking Dead, you can be one thing for sure. There are, no, are going to be no happy endings. You can bet against it. I mean, you can bet that there are going to be no happy endings. And this comes true for Fear of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, the main show when the original show ends in two years from now. Uh, don't expect everybody living happily and, you know, riding off into the sunset. Uh, God, wouldn't it suck if the Daryl and Carol spinoff happens because Alexandria has been completely eviscerated? And everybody inside of it is dead. And it's just Daryl and Carol are the only ones that survive. And they just hit the road. I mean, you got to expect anything and everything from this, uh, you know, from this universe. Anything can happen. It's the zombie apocalypse. So we just got to wait and see. TB Edits is with us on YouTube's. Uh, says, are the biggest secret since we thought that Glenn died in the middle of season six. Yeah, you know, I remember that when he fell out off the dumpster with uh, Nicholas, played by Michael Trainer, And we, the next scene we saw is the uh, walkers going all feast on what looked like to be Glenn's body, but it wasn't. It was Nicholas that landed on top of him, saving Glenn's life. Um, uh, so yeah, that was kind of a surprise, but that secret they kept of Morgan coming back. If you listen to Lenny James tell the story, how he had to wear disguises, he was, uh, checking in into the people at the hotel he was staying at, had to sign non-disclosure agreements. I mean, they went all the way into keeping 
the, the fact that he was coming back onto the show a big secret. And it worked. It absolutely worked. Because we were all surprised as hell to see Morgan show up again. Welcome, Philip, uh, to, from Facebook. Stone Walker writes, that's a, th- a sad the- uh, theory in regards to Alexandria getting completely eviscerated along with the hilltop and the ocean side. And Daryl and Carol literally are the only ones left alive and they have to go hit the road. But just expect anything and everything, guys. Everything's on the table. So next thing is uh, about the trailer. The uh, bonus trailer for the six episodes. Uh, As we all know, we're getting six episodes. Again, in this episode, they are actually calling it uh, part of season 10. Depending on which person is writing the article, they're going to call it either season 10 or season 11. It's neither 10 or 11. It's just six extra episodes. The television network also aired a sneak peek at what's coming Next, during the mid-season finale of Fear the Walking Dead, the short video features a closer look at the survivors of the ferocious Whisperer War, which ended with Alpha's and Beta's death. Fans will see plenty of familiar faces, including Norman Reedus, Daryl, Melissa McBride's Carol, Negan, and Maggie. And we actually, they, they have given us a lot of information about these six episodes. They have been releasing uh, the table reads that the actors have been doing for each episode. We have the titles for each and every one of those episodes. So they are really giving us a lot more information than they've ever had in the past about upcoming episodes of The Walking Dead. So now it's just we have to wait three months to start watching them. Kat is with us on YouTube. Welcome, Kat. It's good to have you here with us. Uh, I'm a white boy, says they are calling it 10C. Episode 10C. (laughs) I'm not calling it, you know, season 10C or it's neither or. And Kat brought up an interesting point uh, a couple of weeks ago when she said we have to wait uh, which DVD set. the six extra episodes get released with what if they don't get released with either 10 or 11 what if they release a separate set of uh, blu-ray slash dvds just containing those six episodes to me that would make a lot more sense than lumping them with season 10 or season 11 so anyway the next thing the walking dead world beyond boss responds to the shocking revelation in the latest episode in the walking dead world beyond boss matt negrete has assured fans that there are more things to unfold when it comes to the big reveal at the end of the show's last episode which was of course us learning that huck is elizabeth's daughter in the horror spinoff's most recent installment called the sky is a graveyard Fans were shocked to discover that Campus Colony Security Officer Huck, played by Annette Mahandrew, has been working with Civic Republic Military Lieutenant Colonel Elizabeth Kublik, played by Julia Ormond, this whole time. Uh, Now the showrunner has opened up about the mother-daughter relationship and how the entire season has hinted at a link between the two unlikely pair. I think the thing for the audience to take away from the revelation of who Huck is is that there really have been no have been clues about who she sees the world, how she sees the world, and how she operates, and how she's willing to do some pretty horrible things for what she believes is the greater good. Negri told Entertainment Weekly. Now, if that's a hint that they were giving us this whole time that Huck was indeed Elizabeth's daughter, we've been watching The Walking Dead for many years. And people that have the attitude of the greater good and people need to be sacrificed, 
It's not anything new to us. So that thought of me tying, oh yeah, because Huck is willing to make sacrifices, you know, maybe even killing a few people for the greater good. For me, in my mind, I never, you know, rang any alarm bells that said that Huck is Elizabeth's daughter. Uh, I think if people want to go back and look at some of the things she said over this past season, there are definite clues in there that can pinpoint her philosophy of the world. It also might recontextualize the Huck flashbacks that we saw in episode 7. There will be more blanks that will be filling in very soon. Negrete also urged viewers to think about what the dad's watch reference might mean going forward and how. Even if Huck and Kublik aren't biologically related, there's still a familial connection happening there. And I very much think that Elizabeth and Huck are, mo- are mother-daughter. Uh, he mentions biological, but it doesn't matter if she's adopted or that's her actual birth daughter. They're still mother-daughter. So the watch? No idea. Uh, obviously, the showrunner Matt Negrete says there might there's a a significance to that watch. What it might mean, I have no idea. Uh, going forward, I guess we're going to find out. But right now, if you guys have any theories about that watch, I'd love to hear them. Uh, but I have none. I have none. Just besides the what Elizabeth told us at the end of the episode, she gave that watch to Huck. So she can be on time next time and not be so late. And it's her dad's watch. So other than that, I'm clueless. TB Edits writes, the only thing that made sense at the beginning was Elizabeth saying that her daughter was from the military. Then we got Huck episode showing us that. No, Elizabeth said that her daughter is part of the CRM military. Uh, not that she's uh, was a Marine before the apocalypse. Uh, so she didn't say that, yeah, she was, uh, you know, a Marine before the world went to hell. Elizabeth specifically told Iris and Hope that her daughter is a part of the CRM military. So that's the only thing that I, you know, she didn't say that she was a Marine. Now... What she did in the flashbacks that we saw of Huck, what she did as a Marine, taking out her unit to save the lives of civilians, you can very much argue that's against what the CRM stands for, okay? Uh, Because the military, under orders from, you know, higher-ups, whatever, the Marines that were about to kill those innocent civilians, that would be something in line to what the CRM stands for. But she didn't do that. She turned her gun on her fellow Marines and even killed a Marine that she was in a relationship with. So that, to me, actually pushes it the other way, and it makes it a little bit more confusing. Uh, Singer Chick writes, wonder how deep into it, uh, all of it, if she will go with uh, us next uh, next week. Hope she doesn't talk like Scott Gimple. Who, who are you referring to? Uh, oh, you're talking about our interview with Annette. Okay. Uh, Stone Walker writes, I thought Beer Lady was her daughter, but I'm wrong. That's right. So did I. I thought that would have been great. And I think... I don't know if the writers ever even that ever even crossed their mind to make Isabel from Fear the Walking Dead Elizabeth's daughter. I still think that would have been a great story. Yeah, didn't work out that way. But I wonder if that really ever crossed the minds of the writers. Making Isabel from Fear the Walking Dead, the CRM soldier that Al is in love with, having that be Elizabeth's daughter. It would have been a great way 
to tie the world beyond universe with fear. But they didn't decide to go that way. They decided to keep everything contained in regards to that within the world beyond and not, you know, kind of flip the story and have it intertwine with Fear the Walking Dead. TB Edits writes, because for me it sounds like Silas was admitting something he didn't do. I have this feeling like Huck did it. No, 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 no. I don't. What would be the point? of Huck killing Tony. Uh, and then we saw Silas. He blanked out. And we know that he has those anger rage issues. To uh, He does black out when he gets into a rage. And he doesn't remember exactly what happens. I see what you're trying to say though. That Huck might have killed Tony. Uh, to slow them down maybe. They didn't want him going to New York that fast. The original plan that Elizabeth had was that they were going to make it to New York slowly on foot, not get there in a couple of days with a car. So, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but the way Silas was all bloodied, his knuckles were bloodied, his wrench was bloodied, and the way that guy's face was obliterated, it's totally Silas's signature of when he loses it. So, uh, TB Edits writes, he knew too much. He got the uh, gas from the CRM. I don't think her mom would have been happy with that. Like I said, we got to wait and see, you know. All theories are on the table, and we just got to wait and see how it plays out. That's the fun part of doing this. It's the fun of not knowing what's going to happen is hearing all your guys' theories and, you know, and seeing how it actually plays out on the screen as the episodes progressed. Anyway, let's do our topic for today. Why do some communities fail and others thrive in the Walking Dead universe? All the way back in Season 1, we were introduced to the first group or community led by Shane, a small encampment, settlement, in comparison to the communities we get to meet later on. For a little while, the group was able to survive by setting up camp outside the city, in the woods, and out of sight of any hostiles that might be traveling on the highway. That, you know, that's the infamous scene where Shane, you know, is rubbing Ed the wrong way uh, for... Uh, him keeping getting that campfire a little too bright. And Shane tells him that they all agree to keep it down to embers. For a little while, the group was able to survive by setting up camp outside of the city like we talked about. They had a system that worked. Small teams led by Glenn would go on supply runs. The Dixon brothers would hunt. Andrea and her sister Amy would go out fishing using Dale's boat, while Dale was the lookout man all day long on top of his RV. The rest of the women, include Carol and Lori, would take care of chores, including laundry and cooking. What failed them was there didn't appear to be anyone standing watch at night when the walkers just crept up on them and they take out Ed and Amy first. So when Rick, Glenn, T-Dog, and Daryl are heading back from Atlanta after their search for Merle, they arrived right at the time that the camp was being attacked, overrun. Next, going on to season two, we move on to the farm. Uh, there was access to water from wells. It was, again, isolated. Uh, it was not yet no walkers were showing up, only the ones that Herschel was bringing in. Because remember, he thought that they could be cured. There was also uh, places to scavenge nearby, like that pharmacy that Glenn and Maggie would go to. As far as resources were concerned, the, the farm was very well set. However, they had no defenses. There were no walls or fences, anything to hold back an attack. And they were still naive at that point. Uh, 
They didn't realize the importance of walls until much later on. Although there were fears that Randall's group were looking for their farm, a walker herd did become the eventual downfall of the green farm. And of course, that at the end of that season is when we lost Shane. Now, season three. Now we start getting into some communities. Prison and the prison and Woodbury. Uh, although the prison didn't feature all the comforts of a real home, Rick's group did turn it into a place they could settle in. And it's an ideal place. It has fortified walls. Uh, it did have kind of a weak-ass fence. They had access to food, a way to uh, bring water in, and a place to eventually plant crops. Uh, in terms of resources, like I said, they were able to grow stuff. Defenses, they had the walls. The prison is also not difficult to locate, making them an easy target for any hostile survivors, including the governor. The weaknesses were in the prison structure itself, where a wall had collapsed in the back of the building, which was easily breached. And that's how we got to meet Tyrese and Sasha's group. Once the fences are down, the prison is easily overrun by walkers and further structural damage by the governor's people makes it unlivable. Now, taking a look at the governor's, Woodbury, Woodbury appeared to be very well stocked in supplies, including weapons and ammunition. The governor did have a very strict rule. He had a curfew at night. Uh, nobody was allowed out after, I believe, the sun went down. And the governor and his lieutenants, consisting of a very small group of his inner circle, would, you know, bring back supplies. And the people of Woodbury never really questioned how those supplies came in because, hey, the governor would go out with his men and he would come back with food, water, guns. Little did they realize that the governor was going out and killing people murdering uh, soldiers, people, and robbing them. Uh, guards at the community gates were positioned to stop anyone leaving who did not have a valid reason to do so, as well as taking down any stray walkers who came up against their defenses. And if you remember Woodbury's defenses, their walls was just a big-ass stack of tires. <laughs> That was Woodbury's walls. They, I mean, it, it worked. It worked for them. Uh, I mean, Woodbury, it was really, what, one long block? That's it? Just one long block? And they had it barricaded on both ends with those, those, that makeshift wall of tires? Now, Terminus, okay? Again, no walls at Terminus. Their way of defense is deception. Uh, similar, well, not really similar. I mean, you could say the fence, they did have an outer fence, and it was about as strong as the fence as the prison was. Uh, nothing could be grown in Terminus. There was no land for farming. And to their downfall, they never even tried. And we never got any indication that the people at Terminus ever tried to feed themselves any other way before they turned to cannibalism. Um, Gareth and his people would lure them in with the signs that they left up, which according to him, they were real. They were meant, Terminus was meant to be a sanctuary for anyone that survived and made it there. But, you know, we heard the sob story from him. They were overrun. They finally got it back. And that's the whole term that he started to use. You're either the butcher or the cattle. So, you know, I think Gareth got exactly what he deserved when Rick fulfilled his promise to him in the church. Now, let's move on to some even bigger communities. 
And the first real big community that we ever meet in the Walking Dead universe is Alexandria. Now, skipping forward a lot to stuff we haven't even seen yet, Alexandria is going to be dwarfed but by what we see the Commonwealth uh, and how, they, how many people they have, which is about 50,000 strong. And let's not even mention the CRM which has 200,000 people living under their authority. Uh, so going back to Alexandria, Alexandria had very high walls, which protected them from walker threats and kept them hidden from hostile survivors. They also had watchtowers to keep a lookout if need be. They were not very self-sufficient in the beginning, where we don't see any crops or livestock they were basically living on whatever they had scavenged from the start of the apocalypse to when we got to see Rick and the gang join them in Alexandria. Uh, the only people that would go on runs would be Deanna's sons. Uh, well, Aiden and Nicholas would go out on runs. And if you even want to call them runs, those two guys were just, they were jerks. Uh, uh, Totally didn't take it seriously. It ended up getting them both killed. Uh, once Glenn and Rick and everybody else got there, they saw the huge gaping holes, regardless of the walls. The mentality that the Alexandrians had was their biggest weakness. I mean, absolutely their biggest weakness. Uh Rick did assume leadership from Deanne. The community struggled to keep up with supplies and needed to venture further out on their runs. After the time jump, the community seemed to find a way to be a lot more productive in growing some crops and engaging in trade with other communities like the Hilltop and Kingdom. And that brings me to that line that Negan said when he first got out of the prison where Judith tried to stop him from going over the wall and he's talking to Judith and he explains to Judith like damn take a look at Alexandria it's wonderland over here what they've turned it into a self-sustaining thriving community he was impressed he was literally impressed uh, the community does fail when their generator gives out during a snowstorm and they are left without any kind of heating, but nothing that can be repaired, as opposed to the kingdom. The kingdom failed. The kingdom was lost. Uh, it just started falling apart. Fires, uh, stuff breaking down they couldn't keep up with. Uh, King Ezekiel's last-ditch effort was his big fair where he was going to restart trading again with the other communities with uh, the hilltop alexandria and oceanside during the fair they did all sign that treaty where they would act as one again but that did not last very long because alpha had different plans she went in that night to try to bring her daughter lydia back to the whisperers of course, when Lydia refused, Alpha had plan B already in place. She had kidnapped a whole bunch of people from the communities. And when she came back to the Whisperers, she beheaded each and every one of them. Uh, that's the famous Kingdom Day Massacre Fair. Uh, Philip Thompson says Michonne never signed it. That's because she had... Uh, Gabriel sign it, the leader of the council. Uh, so yeah, Michonne did not personally sign that uh, agreement. She had Gabriel, since he was the head of the council, he was the one that signed it in favor of Alexandria, as opposed to Michonne, who was the leader. So just a little formality there. Anyway, the hilltop. The hilltop has always been the most self-sustaining community from the beginning. They had livestock. 
they were growing crops. Remember, when we first meet Jesus, and Jesus brings them back to the hilltop, Alexandria is on the brink. They are in dire straits of uh, running out of food. That's when they got that's when we get introduced to Jesus. Jesus brings them back to the hilltop. And when they walk through those walls and they see the livestock, the crops, the amount of people living at the hilltop, to this day, from what we have seen so far, like I said, we have not yet met the Commonwealth. I'm sure the Commonwealth has way more resources than Hilltop does. But up to this day, there has never been a stronger community in regards to resources and self-sustaining them, you know, themselves in the Hilltop community. And yeah, if you're Rick, you walk in there, yeah, you're going to want to start trading, but you don't have much to trade. He offers them ammunition. Yeah, Alexandria has a lot of guns and a lot of ammunition, but it, the Hilltop doesn't have any fighters. They're not warriors, with the exception of Jesus. So they didn't really want the ammunition that Rick was offering them. And that forced Rick to, again, I'm going to say it again, make the worst decision he has ever made on The Walking Dead. He's agreed to take care of a problem that the Hilltop has in the form of the Saviors. And of course, we all know what happened. Rick and Glenn and the rest of them go and murder the Savior outpost, thinking they're just that one unit, not realizing that it's just an outpost of a much larger community called the Sanctuary, which is what we're going to go to next. During Negan's leadership, the sanctuary was not self-sufficient. They could not grow anything on there, and that became self-evident after all-out war. They didn't have enough land. They were living on, like, a some kind of a factory, power plant, whatever the hell you want to call it. You can imagine the ground has been soaked in chemicals, for years leading to the apocalypse, it was dead, dead land. Nothing would grow on it. Uh, so, Negan, when he did take over the sanctuary, named them the Saviors, and he, he did name it the sanctuary also, that name came from him, he came up with a very systematic plan. We are going to offer safety to other communities in, re in, in return, we're going to take half their stuff. That's how we're going to survive. And uh, he didn't do it by asking nicely. He did it. Each and every community he approached, he killed one member to let them know that they're not, you know, screwing around. If you don't hand over half your stuff, extortion, that we're going to kill you. If you hand over half your stuff and make your drop-offs every week on schedule, we will keep you protected, not only from the dead, but from any hostels that are living as well. CC Wheezy writes, you can't put that decision all on Rick. As I recall, Daryl and Abraham were quick to chime in too. Yep, yep, you're right. It's not all on Rick, but Rick was the leader. So it does fall on him. The buck stopped with him. If he said, we're not going to do this, they, Abraham, Daryl, and the rest of them would have fell in line. Uh, if he really, you know, but he didn't. He was feeling cocky. If you remember that infamous scene when they're all in Gregory's office, Gregory's not there. It's Jesus. Gregory just got stabbed by one of his own when he made that deal to kill the savior outpost. Yeah, Daryl said, you know, Negan's nothing but a boogeyman. Abraham was in line too. But Rick was very cocky. And his line was, hell, we have no problem with conflict. We'll go take care of these people. No big deal. So, you know, he was the leader. Yeah, you know, everybody can chime in and give their opinion. But the buck stopped with him. And he's the one the that was as eager as Daryl, as eager as Abraham to go in and do what they did. 
Now, another community is the dumpster, the garbage people, the scavengers, whatever the hell you want to call them. The people that were led by Jadis. They did not bother anyone. They just basically stole stuff or found stuff, scavenged um, stuff. And that's what how they got their supplies. They didn't want to be bothered with. They had no interest in making alliances. They just wanted to be left alone in their junkyard, go out, scavenge, get whatever they needed. Uh, you know, with uh, we've had guests on the show, on the show here that played roles as part of the scavengers, and we know that they like to. Uh, on the show, they call themselves the heapsters. So pick whatever name you like. They uh, did not want to be bothered. But Negan did find them. He was oppressing them. And we also now know that Jadis was working with the CRM. She knows who the CRM was. And her and the CRM struck a deal where she would turn over living people to the CRM in exchange for supplies. And we know that for a fact, as we see Jadis eating out of a can with the three ring symbol on it, as we have seen so many times now in the world beyond. Everything that belongs to the CRM is labeled with those three overlapping rings. So Jadis was very aware of the CRM and what they did. So through scavenging, and through her working the back channels with the CRM is how she was able to stay in power with the scavengers because she brought in supplies. I don't think her people knew. Maybe her innermost circle, like Tommy L knew about the uh, CRM, even though I doubt it. I think it's something that Jadis just kept to herself. She didn't like what she was doing, but she did it anyways. And in the end, when we last saw her, she was willing and did it again. She was going to do it to Negan, changed her mind. She was going to do it to Father Gabriel, changed her mind. But when she finally made a run for it, and she found Rick after he blew up that bridge, she seized the moment and gave the CRM to Rick and... That was her ticket out of a place that she felt she did not belong. So anyway, guys, that brings us to the end of this hour. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys every night tuning in, listening, and participating in our discussion. I hope everyone has a very safe and happy holiday weekend it is thanksgiving weekend here in the united states uh if you're traveling please be safe uh if you're not traveling please be safe uh we are our next episode is going to be on monday november 30th where we are going to be joined by special guest huck from the walking dead world beyond annette mahandrew it's going to be a fascinating chat. It's going to be the day after the Walking Dead World Beyond finale. There's going to be a tons to talk about. If you guys have questions for Huck, please go to our website, deadtalklive.com. Hit on the link that says submission form and submit your questions for Annette. And I'm sure you guys are going to have a lot of questions. So I expect to get a lot of questions from you guys. So we can ask them to Annette when she's with us on Monday. Until then, guys, be safe. And remember, stay walking. Good night.